0: Hi, this is Dan. And this is Joe, And this is Enough Room.
1: So last week, wow, last episode I should say, last episode. (laughs) It's funny because we initially thought it would take us 10 minutes to go through six clobber passages and a lot of people are going, "Mm mm-hmm.
0: We thought we could just sort of skim (laughs) the surface really quickly, but even skimming the surface was... That was hard. Yeah,
1: that that took 30 minutes, yeah. and I don't think we even, like, got into any no. of the meat of it. There was so much there to discuss. There was so much there to discuss, so many questions that I want to answer, so many, but oh well. Yes.
0: <laughs> and I think this week will be, will possibly be a little bit similar. It, it'll be a bit of a continuation, um, but on a, from a different angle.
1: Yeah, and not on a different angle, but I think it speaks to probably... Um, Something that sort of underlies everything that we're that we think about and when we talk about when it comes to scripture, and that's sort of the interpretation. How do we approach it? How do we think about it? How do we uh, understand it? Um, especially when you think about the books of the Bible. I yeah. think it's sixty-six books in total yeah. in this um, in this compilation, and. It's written, I don't know what the timeframes are, but over hundreds of years. Yeah, by thousands of years. Di- thousands of years, sorry, by different writers, different... Well, um, yeah, maybe only hundreds of years. Anyway, uh, anyway. Of, a long time. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Actually, I think... maybe I'll Google this. Do you want to talk? Mm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and speaking of that, I think, um, and this is a, a, sort of a, a distraction while, while Joe is, is Googling, Googling right now, but I've, I've seen some people recently putting up these comments about how the Bible was written by um, cis white men only, um, and... I just thought that was a really interesting comment to make because my understanding is there are women who were involved in the writing of the Bible. Um, there, I believe is probably a lot of evidence to suggest that the majority of, well, at least some, if not even the majority of writers of the Bible were not white. Um, and so I'd, I don't think that's a very accurate statement, and I think also um, there are some arguments to suggest that even some of the Bible writers may not have necessarily been your cisgendered males hmm. um, that we think they may have been, yeah. or we assume they were. Um, there are some to su- some who suggest some of the writers may not have um, been as straight. As you may think, so. But that's a whole anyway. other conversation. Yeah, so that's a whole other conversation. But I think my point there is that there was a variety of writers. Of writers they yes. weren't all white cisgendered males. I, I think none of them were white. Yeah, I don't think any of them were white. <laughs> I can't actually think of one who I would nope. just immediately go, none. "Yeah, they're probably white." So, so, um, so certainly they weren't coming from a white necessarily heterosexual male perspective Mm. there was definitely some women in there there was even um some parts that were written by um heathen kings yeah you know so they weren't even all from a jewish background so i think um there was there was a yeah, huge variety, just of a wide in. variety.
1: I, I love that point. And did a little Google, um, and a, the Bible, according to this, um, sixty six books make up the Bible, and they were written over a span of approximately one thousand five hundred years. Yeah, and again, this doesn't mean that they were, you know, solidly writing Mm. for (laughs) 1,500 years, but rather it took that long for basically all 66 books to be written. And And if you think about how much culture has
0: changed in our lifetime, let alone in the last one to 200 years. Mm. Now, admittedly, these last few hundred years have seen massive developments in society and technology and, and, and... inventions and all sorts of things. But putting that aside, you think about how much develops in that time, how much culture changes Mm. and
1: wow. Yeah, it's crazy. And that sort of leads into um, this part of uh, the message, the Mm. Facebook message Mm -hmm. that we received. I'm going to read out the lines uh, or this particular paragraph um, and then we'll dive into it because I think it's a a question – that we all have to grapple with when we're dealing with Scripture, Mm. whatever part of the Bible you're reading. Um, And so she writes to us, um, just for a minute, think about what you are doing in your mind, justifying something that the Bible openly condemns. There's no way that the Bible supports same-sex marriages. And just quickly, if you've just joined us We've been covering this message or this Facebook message that we received a couple of months ago um, that we feel has a lot of very important points. Mm. Um, The first, I believe we've now recorded three episodes so far. So um, if you want to go back three episodes, you can start listening to them in order. um, And then this will probably make more sense Mm. to you. Uh, But yeah, so this message, and especially this part of it, it raises the question of how do we justify in our minds Mm. what the Bible openly condemns? Um, And And I
0: think, first of all, I think last week's episode uh, can answer a lot of that. Um, How do we justify um, sort of something that, that the bible seems to openly condemn and and that comment there is no way the bible supports same-sex marriages Mm. that just seems seems like a very definite comment yeah and last week we talked about all of those different clobber passages yes um and different ways that they can be understood yeah and we only scratched the surface as Mm. we said so i think immediately we can just start to break that down a little bit and say, well, maybe there is actually a way that the Bible can support it, um, although that is also a whole other discussion because yeah. there is a difference between sort of condemning something and condoning something or yeah. promoting something, yeah. which we'll talk a little bit about. Um, but I think, I think certainly justifying in our mind something that the Bible openly condemns well, I, hopefully we've made it clear to you that we're not doing that. Yeah. We're not justifying something for ourselves that we mm. believe the Bible condemns. And,
1: and I think this conversation uh, that we're about to have will actually lead into a lot of mm. how we uh, maneuver ourselves through the Bible. Um, for example, she mentioned specifically that it doesn't, the Bible doesn't support same-sex marriage. And the mm. first thing that comes to my mind is, then what type of marriage does the Bible support? Because mm. you see a wide variety of practices in the Bible mm. that are very different to what we see today and yeah. what we would consider acceptable yeah. in our community yeah. or our society. Um, and, and so why don't we look at a few things that the Bible um, condemns that doesn't make sense today? And, and these yeah. are things from the Bible itself. again. Let's have a look at them, and then I think we can discuss why we're sort of bringing this up. Um, One, and you can... um, We won't give out specific references, uh, but if you do a quick Google search or even jump into Leviticus, you'll find some of these. One is ripped clothing. Mm. According to the law, you're not allowed to... So none of those ripped jeans anymore. No, no. Mm. If you're wearing ripped jeans, I'm sorry. (laughs) You are breaking the
0: law of God. Yep, you're out.
1: Um... (laughs) (laughs) The other one is Shaving your beard Or your sideburns Um,
0: I think that would affect A lot of people these days I mean, beards certainly have Made a bit of a comeback recently I've certainly got one myself But I think for for The majority of men Shaving is a a part of their Daily routine Mm. and um, I think in many Ways, in a professional Context being clean shaven is, is almost seen as a, um, I guess a more professional look. Yeah. Um, and and so yes, to suggest that shaving is actually forbidden. Mm. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. I'm just imagining walking into a board meeting with like a full on beard and my sideburns gone crazy. (laughs) No. Yeah, it'd be
0: a bit of a different look. I mean, admittedly, it doesn't say that you can't trim, so it doesn't
1: necessarily... Mm, It actually says you can't trim the edges of your beard. Yeah, so there's no wiggle room. Like, you can't do it. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'd have to read that. (laughs) Yes. Um, The other one is being able to go to the sanctuary or to church, if I should use that word, after giving birth. Mm -hmm. Um, So apparently if you gave birth to a male child Then for two weeks you are unclean Ritually unclean And then you have to kind of stay away for another I think it's 33 days And then you can go to the temple and offer a sacrifice If you have a female child Then it's I think two weeks unclean And then another 66 days Before you can go So yeah, you might be listening to us right now and going, either you're going, this is crazy, and this is why I don't read the Bible, or you're going, that's interesting, but these are the reasons why we don't follow them. Yeah. And if that is your thinking, you have sort of already started this process of what we are yeah. sort of going to get into, which is um, trying to understand why it's saying that, to whom it's being said to, and the time and the context. And um, what does
0: that mean for us today? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because particularly as Christians, the Bible is, is I guess, in a way, our, our guidebook. It's, um, I know that there's this um, uh, acronym that people have created saying that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Mm. Now, if that's how we're applying it to our lives, then... Yes, we need to figure out well, what did it mean to those people? And yeah, what does that mean for us today?
1: And I think the other thing with the Bible as well is how uh, some people think that you have to sort of suspend your um your brain when mm. it comes to the Bible and um but the Bible requires you to um be involved mm. and to reason. It actually literally says, "Come, let us reason, reason. together." Yeah. Um, so it requires thinking, yeah. it requires getting into the word, it requires understanding the cultural context. Yeah. Who is uh, who is it being said to? Um, I mean, for example, polygamy. Mm. Um, and before recording this, we went through um, just verses in the Bible, um, mm. looking at one of the verses we've just um, gone through, but also what does the Bible actually say about polygamy? Now, we won't actually go into that conversation, but... Um, and I obviously believe that it's wrong <laughs> um, but it was interesting looking at just the verses in the Bible mm. um, without trying to contextualize it yeah without think, trying to reason through it.
0: I think for me I was surprised to on a few things. One is the, the laws that were actually included in the Levitical laws yeah um, that gave room for polygamy and regulated the process of polygamy Um, now to me that just seems a bit strange if it's something that god is not happy with why would he leave any room for that Mm. there was there was no issues whatsoever condemning other practices that would have been relatively standard and there are plenty of other things that were just commonplace in the cultures around the israelites that god clearly condemned Mm. so why did he not Clearly condemn polygamy and instead actually leave room for it. Yeah. Um, then you've obviously got all of the patriarchs, um, a lot of the kings, mm. all these people that that are huge figures in in the Bible, in this story that that God has handed down to us, and and you've you've got these figures that God uplifted that um, that He used um, that He clearly said that he loved and yet they were more often than not found in polygamous relationships
1: and and it's interesting because um i think in the book of second samuel for example where you've got the prophet nathan who's come to david and literally god is saying and this is god's words um he's saying to um to david that you know i've given you or your master's wives. Mm. And so it's like, hold on, is God saying that he's the one who gave mm. David all of these wives, i.e. I'm the one who, you know, has allowed you to live yeah. in this sort I'm of not only sort of turning a blind eye yeah. to this, I'm actually... Actively taking part it. in it. Yeah, actually actively yeah. providing it. And it's just crazy when you think about it. And I know as... Christians, we will automatically start thinking, no, but in the in the Bible it says this. Like, for example, I think in the New Testament it says, um, you shall have only one wife. But if you read that, it's specifically referring to elders. Mm. And yeah, so there need, I think we accept that there needs to be... Um, We maneuver through these verses and we sort of tie them together Mm. and we take into account context. We take into Mm. account culture. We take into account different things in order to come up with the position that we are in today or that is widely widely accepted in Christianity, which is a monogamous relationship Mm. between one person one adult and another adult.
0: And I think one thing that we are trying to get across here is we're not necessarily making an argument, you know, for, <laughs> for or polygamy. against polygamy, <laughs> but our point is when you actually read the text and you look at the, the vast majority of the stories and, and everything in scripture, it's hard to say that polygamy is, um, really viewed in a bad way by God. Mm. Mm. It, it's, it's, Everywhere in the Old Testament. Yeah. And the Old Testament makes up the majority of the Bible. So, yeah. so yes, our point really is that, that I think polygamy being a bad thing is probably a, quite a commonly held belief amongst Christians, at least in the Western world. Mm. And yet the biblical argument for that doesn't actually seem yeah. that strong. It's a bit... So, and that's our point is sometimes there are beliefs that don't seem to have a strong biblical backing mm. um, and vice versa. There yeah. are things that um, we believe that there it does seem to be strong commentary from the Bible that actually differs from our belief. Yeah.
1: And, and another one is slavery, for mm. example. It is so easy to make a strong argument for slavery using the Bible. Oh, absolutely. And... If we're being honest, Christians have been doing this for years. Mm-hmm. Maybe not recently, but for years. Yeah. Christians, we have been using the Bible um, to justify slavery. Yeah. Um, you only have to look at the states, for example, uh, when you see that. Or you can look into your Bible, Leviticus twenty-five forty-four. You may buy male and female slaves among the nations that are around you. And even in the New Testament, if you're going to go, oh, that's the Old Testament. Look at the New Testament. In the New Testament, it literally says, slaves, obey your master. Mm. And when we look at the U.S., for example, the southern states, we get a lot of, um, and you can Google this. You can Google the arguments. You can Google the sermons. You can Google the papers that people wrote literally justifying slavery from the Bible. Mm. And we're now removed from that time, and we have the luxury of being able to look back and go, no, 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 that, no, that's not right. That the Bible doesn't support that. But I think you'd be hard pressed to find Ooh. a commandment in the Bible specifically forbidding slavery. Yeah. And I hope this does, doesn't discourage people from reading the Bible, or it doesn't discourage people from uh, from knowing more about what the Bible has to say. I think, if anything, it's 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 one of the beautiful things about the Bible. Um, I've heard someone say that um, the Bible is the word of God, but it's not the words of God. And I love that because, yes, we do believe that the Bible is inspired. Mm. But we have to remember that these are people who were writing in the context of what they knew. Mm. what they knew about the world around them, what their cultural practices were. The Bible doesn't speak into the culture, but it actually speaks within the culture. It uses imagery and examples and things that people knew and could relate with. Mm. And that's why we see things like polygamy. That's why we see things like uh, like uh, slavery. Um, all of these different things. I, and yeah, I I love that because it means that this is a God who wants to work with us. Yeah. And it's interesting,
0: um, you know, you, you talk about God wanting to work with us. And and I think for me, one, one thing for me is I, I believe that the word of God is something that God has given to his people. So to me, that means it's for his people. Mm. You know, it wasn't written for him. It wasn't written for the angels. It wasn't it was it was written for humanity. Yeah. Now God created humanity. He created us with minds, he created us with brains and he he knows the end from the beginning. Yes. Now from that perspective, I understand that therefore the word is something that has been written for that particular culture in that time but in a way that God knew could be applied and understood. Mm. By his children, no matter what time they were reading it in. But I think he also understood that his children would be reading it from a different culture Hmm. with greater knowledge. Yes. With more wisdom, more understanding, with the ability to actually process history and study history and understand that the word was written in a different time. Yeah. And so I think it's... I find it interesting when people do kind of go, oh, well, you know, no, this is God's word. This was the way it was written. Yeah. Um, as you said it, you know, I believe it was Ellen White who said that it is the word of God, but it's not the words of God. Yes. And I, I think I struggle to understand when people do just say that, well, the word, that's how it's written. And mm. I can read it in English right now, yeah. and this is very plain. They totally seem to forget that it was actually written in Greek or yeah. Hebrew and has been interpreted, yeah. first of all. But but then they're also taking these words directly and just immediately applying them to their mm. lives without necessarily thinking about, well, what's changed? Yeah. And what, what has changed between when it was written and when we're now trying to apply it? Yeah. And... For example, it's very clear in the Old Testament. Mm. When you commit adultery, you should be stoned. The sentence is death. Yes. Yet Jesus comes along. The Pharisees bring this woman caught in adultery to him. And he doesn't stone her. He actually points out the sins of everybody else in the crowd
1: Mm.
0: and says to her, Go and sin no more, your sins are forgiven like yeah. what what changed how that was you know Jesus God in flesh was there and
1: ignored his own law He was literally the lawgiver he was the one who gave it in the first place um and yeah, you're absolutely right he's now drawn this line and yeah he's he's told her go and sin no more and I think that's the the challenge there is giving space for you know the holy spirit cuz like like we've like we've said um it is the word of god but it's not the words of god and so there is an element there of t- trying to differentiate between the divine and the human and i think this is where the holy spirit especially comes mm. into play but another thing as well that i and this is why uh, this is actually from ellen white um if you don't know who ellen white is um the adventist church a lot of people in the Adventist Church, um, consider her to be an inspired person, someone who received revelation from God. Um, she didn't see her writings as replacing the Bible or at the same uh, place as the Bible. Um, she says that it was sort of like a lesser light, just pointing to a greater light, which is the Bible. Um, but some something that she actually uh, wrote, which I love so much, is whenever the people of God are growing in grace, they will constantly be obtaining a clearer understanding of His word. They will discern new light and beauty in its sacred truths. This has been true in the history of the church in all ages, and thus it will continue to the end. But as real spiritual life declines, it has ever been the tendency to seize the advance in the knowledge of truth. Men rest satisfied with the light already received from God's word and discourage any further conversation of the scriptures. I love that. I absolutely love that. And she, she sort, she sort of brings it together because, like we've said, there's the context of culture. There's time written mm. over thousands of years. Um, there is the people who are actually writing it and who they are writing it to and sort of trying to pull out or see what are the principles here, what is mm. God trying to tell me not only about this particular message, but also about him. Yeah. What is he trying to tell me about him? And I love how she says, Whenever the people of God are growing in grace. Mm. And I think that's it. I think that's that's sort of the crux of all of this. The Bible hasn't changed. The yeah. words in the Bible hasn't changed. Yeah. God hasn't changed. Yeah. But what's changed, I think, is that now we're seeing through a lens of grace. yeah We've and through this lens, we've started to see as Jesus would see. Yeah. And if we think about the the strides we've taken as a society, you know, for slavery, women's rights—all of these things. Um, it's like we've started paying attention to the hurt, the injustices, and the mm. inequality that are part of our human experience—a human yeah. experience that's very real when you look at the Bible and things that are being said there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's and as we grow in that grace, things have become a lot clearer. Yeah. And we're starting to get a clearer picture, not only of God of the injustices and all of the things that are, that are damaged in our world.
0: And I think it's interesting um, the, all this, I guess, this idea of growth and, and um, learning and, and, and greater understanding as we go through history, because I feel like when you actually see the Bible, we talked at the beginning about how it's these 66 different books written by all these different aud- um, authors from different walks of life, from different times, different cultures, and yet they have been put together in one book. And when you actually read it, while there are in many cases a lot of contradictions and all these sorts of things, when you actually look at the specifics, when you look at the overarching principles, it is one book, and Mm. you can see the synergy there, and you can see the principles that are overriding and when you actually look at the whole trajectory of the Bible, it almost does feel like God is actually taking his people on a journey mm. and leading them through history. You start with this focus on law. and It's almost like he's trying to teach the Israelites and he's just taken them out of Egypt and now they need to know these basic instructions and they need to be laid out very clearly mm. so that the children of Israel understand and start to learn who God is and what he expects from his people. Mm. But then he takes them on this journey from there, slowly through the Old Testament into the New Testament. By the time Christ gets on the picture, he's able to, to really take them a, a leap forward And just show them, no, 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 you don't understand. When you were babes, to use, you know, Paul's terminology, when you were young, I had to make it really clear for you and just lay it out for you clearly. But now you've had centuries to develop and grow and learn who I am. No, when you see someone committing adultery, you don't stone them anymore. You give them a second chance. You let them grow and... And I think that's just a huge example of how the word does just have that development as mm. people see more grace, as they grow in an understanding of, of the word, of humanity, of those overarching principles. Yeah. We talked um, a few episodes back about the principle of love. Mm. In, and Jesus said, all of the law, all of the prophets hang on that principle of love. When you start to understand that and when you grow in that knowledge of grace, then you do just start to have such a a more beautiful picture of the mm. word as in its entirety. And you're then able to use that to help understand and interpret some of these finer mm. things.
1: Yeah. And I hope that if you're listening and if you're, you're listening to these conversations about homosexuality, about the Bible... Or if you're looking out there in the world and you see things that you're not comfortable with in terms of injustices and people Mm. being oppressed and people being treated poorly and for some reason it conflicts with the way you understand the Bible, I would encourage you to think about what is this trying to tell me? What is this feeling? What is this tension within me? Could it be that Jesus, that God is calling you to a deeper understanding of who He is, a deeper understanding of His love, and a deeper understanding of the grace that He showers on all of us, and the grace that is calling us within His Word.
0: Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Enough Room.
1: We'll be dropping another episode in about a week's time, so until then, follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Till next time. Bye.